Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Coming up on Chopper's Politics. The party wants a reset. It wants a restart. It doesn't want all the tired old establishments, whether it's the Rishi establishment or the Boris establishment. Hello and welcome to Chopper's Politics, your weekly wander through Westminster and beyond. With me, Christopher Hope, the Telegraph's Associate Editor for Politics. Well, after a week when I was somewhat worse for wear from Covid, I'm back in my spiritual home in the Red Lion pub. Now, as we record this, there are six candidates left in the Conservative leadership race. But by the time this comes out, well, there could be far fewer. That's the perils of trying to record a podcast at the same time with keeping pace with the machinations at the top of the Conservative Party. So with us this week, we have cheerleaders for two of the candidates. David Davis for Penny Mordaunt or DD for PM, if you like, and Steve Baker for Suella Braveman, SB for SB, I suppose, plus analysis from one of the most in-tune pollsters with the Red Wall, Professor Matthew Goodwin. And later on, I'll be talking to Raymond Chishti, a Tory MP who this week threw his hat into the ring for the Tory leadership and promptly picked it up again. So, a busy morning in the Red Lion pub. And first up, just before we go to the dentist, it's David Davis. David Davis, welcome to Jobless Politics. Good morning. Why should Penny Mordaunt be Prime Minister? Well, when I was looking at this really important post, because we've got a really, really tough couple of years coming up, I went through absolutely every line of the things that mattered. Integrity. We can't have an integrity crisis uh, in the next six months if, if we do the Tory party's dead for years and she passes that with flying colours not just the negatives that there are no scandals but also her mindset her attitude to things like party funding and things like that very similar to mine so that's number one number two courage and competence because you know if you're dealing with stagflation you're going to have really hard decisions to deliver uh, and she's brave and she's capable uh, when we had the battle over uh, Brexit at Chequers, the, probably the most important battle of, uh, in, in Cabinet of this, this century. 2018, 2019, a long time ago, but important. But, oh, yeah, but, but, but pivotal. You know, it was the one that led to my resignation, which then led to Boris, which then led to a great cascade of others and, and actually changed history. You know, that was what changed it. We, lots of people make, make, make claims to this, that and the other. That was the pivotal point. She was the most formidable. I mean, bear in mind, we were a minority, three or four of us. What did she do then that made her formidable? Well, she... she we, we, we had, as I say, 20 of the cabinet, the prime minister, the deputy prime minister, all against us, right? Uh, I was essentially saying, this is wrong, you can't do it that way. Uh, you're, you know, you're giving away our power, the whole point of Brexit. She came quite late in the debate and took took apart the arguments of the other side, clinically put together a four-amendment package and said, the way to make this work is this, and she's the only constructive voice in that, and she was the most effective. Uh, so that combination of courage and competence is there. There's also, is, this is going to require 
quite a sense of command. You know, to do this... I mean, Thatcher had command. Blair had command. Uh, if you watched her at the, at the launch yesterday, the best launch I have seen in all... I mean, I've seen dozens of these blasted launches, you imagine. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an aficionado of them. It was the You've best. You've led one. them. We'll I've led them occasionally, yes. I can tell you how nerve-wracking they are. But, yeah, it was, it was the best by a country mile. I mean, she was completely in command. You know, they're always... You lot are always a difficult audience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're trying well, I asked to, what a woman was. Yeah, that's right. You, quite good answer and you got one. the brilliant answer. Which, uh, and then, you know, you can talk about value. She's a patriot. She's uh, very strong on Brexit. I've heard various criticisms, though she didn't meet this condition or that condition. Well, David Frost in Telegraph on yeah. Thursday is, is criticising, mm. uh, saying... What's his, what's his top line? What's he saying? Is well, he's saying he has grave reservations about her becoming Prime Minister. He said that when Mordaunt was his junior, she wasn't, quote, fully accountable or, or always visible. And to be honest, he says he's surprised where she is in this race. Um, she was my deputy notionally more than really in the Brexit talks last year. So his view is that there's lots of hype around her, but it's not really brought out by the substance. Bluntly, he's just plumb wrong. I mean, she, she, was ne- she was never seen or, or presented as the deputy negotiator in, in those talks. Any, does that show any piece of news uh, anywhere? Don't, don't talk nonsense. I mean, the simple truth is she's good at this stuff. Is there a risk that people are projecting what they want her to be onto her when that isn't really when no one knows who she is, a bit like Theresa May back in, in, in 2016. She's a bit of an unknown quantity. Theresa May said Brexit means Brexit, and that got her through a year of being, in, being Prime Minister, but in a sense that she's full of values and that kind of thing, and a few policies around VAT on fuel, but what else... Well, I mean, well, let's, quantity, let, let, let's let's take let's take the the, the, the economic policy head on. You know, I mean, the, uh, you know, I am sort of Mr. Low Tax. I mean, you know, I've, I've been the one, the prime. Indeed, I'm the the Treasury's biggest pain in the ear, and they they've told me that directly because they know we're winning that argument. Uh, and what's that turned into? Well, it's turned into a sort of a Dutch auction of of, of tax reductions and so on. Well, right, we do have to have tax reductions, but they've got to be done in a structured way. It's a very very important piece of evidence given the Treasury committee yesterday saying yes tax deductions tax reductions are possible but they're best done in a way that delivers more growth who has articulated that best penny morden you know she actually starts off with turbocharged growth you know compete in the international sphere she's presented the best argument on this you are just about the only the most senior supporter she's got i mean she has no actual cabinet minister supporting her good there. Good. They're going for Liz Truss, yeah. Richie Sunak. Well, why is that good? Because good. I mean, people look, around the country aren't backing her. Uh, around the country? People who are running the country aren't supporting no, her. Why and, what, is that? and what have we had as, a, as an economic strategy for the last uh, two years? One that's landed us with high inflation, uh, low growth... Uh, frankly, an incompetent economic strategy. Uh, and they've all signed up to this. Whatever they say, whatever they say, oh, well, we complained in private. They've all signed up to this, right? Um, they've also signed up, frankly, to the uh, to, to Boris's last year. I mean, and bear in mind, I, it's, it's just about six months to the day when I called for him to go. You know, the point is they've all stood by that. What you see in the big survey yesterday, which had uh, the YouGov survey. survey. 800 people, by the way. Yeah. A big survey, but not a lot of people. Well, 200,000 members vote, but only 800 in a survey. Yeah, but, but 800 for, for, for a group like the Tory party, that's the, that's, the most, that's the most effective survey. But it also corresponds with the Con Home survey previously. It gives the same direction. She's out in front amongst the members. She's out in front and way out in front, and she beats everybody. Now, that's great for Penny, but it, says, it tells you something else as well. It says the party wants a reset. 
It wants a restart. It doesn't want all the tired old establishments, whether it's the Rishi establishment or the Boris establishment. They want a clean... In your 12th start. year in power. Yeah? I mean, yeah. the irony well, that, of well, that. that... That is the other interesting thing, of course, because you know, if we are going to go on to win one or more elections, I mean, Boris got mocked for saying 2030, rightly in his case, but we want to go on and win one or more elections from here on in. And to do that, we are going to have to reshape ourselves. We are going to have to modernise ourselves. We're going to have to clean up our act, literally clean up our act. And what the party thinks is she's the one to do it. And it's no surprise that all the people who are slightly tarnished with all the things that have gone before are not going for the new broom. Is she the Jeremy Corbyn candidate no, of the modern-day Tory party? I say that not on the policy grounds, but because of where she's come from the fact that the hierarchy don't back her and no, she's it, got the backing it seems from polling it, of the membership in a way she's a bit like a David Cameron candidate he came in as a moderniser a bit she's a bit like a Blair candidate he came in as a moderniser um, but you know you can't really I mean in any given circumstance you can't really draw analogies from the past but if you wanted to pick one somewhere between Blair and Cameron probably you, you mentioned your, your old foe, David Cameron. Of course, you were the front-runner, weren't you, in 2005. Do you look at the Rishi Sunak campaign and see a lot of what he's doing in what you did and, if I may say so, the mistakes you made to lose to Cameron in 2005? Yeah, well, the mistake is to be the favourite. <laughs> the, the, the first mistake, because, it's, um, because what happens if you're the favourite is everybody else attacks you, you see. Now, that hasn't happened here that much, but what's happened is everybody else has taken a different policy. You know, basically, there's a Sunak policy and there are the others and the others are essentially tax cutting getting uh, the smarter ones get inflation under control the really smart ones turbocharge growth that's the penny more than one um, so so yeah there there is a bit of that about it there's also a bit about the sort of separation of the parliamentary party and, and the country because i won the parliamentary party by 60 something percent 70 percent you know i'm in way ahead of what we're talking about here but the party in the country thought differently and fair enough that's their choice so here you're going to get a bit of that not quite so much though i think because what's actually happened i mean i was quite surprised that that, that rishi didn't get more than 100 votes i thought he'd get more than that um i was quite surprised how close penny's running him so so i think that that's uh, in the first round of voting in the first round that's right i mean we, we've got the second round probably out by the time this is, this mm, is published but the um uh, so we'll see how it goes but i think uh, yeah there is there is this strange dynamic in tory in tory leadership contest where the where the leader always loses as it were what's your advice to rishi sunak if you can give it uh, frankly first off be a bit more polite in the in the policy debate you know i mean all this fairy tale stuff you know uh, i mean afraid i was moved i'm very rarely moved to be rude about anybody else but when i saw this oh your tax cuts are fairy tales proven wrong in yesterday's uh, select committee i went back and said i'm sorry but your treasury forecasts are fairy tales and your bank forecasts are fairy tales <laughs> so don't talk about fairy tales so my argument to him was keep it polite is dominic cummings involved in this is i've no idea all i know is the rumors flying around you know i don't i'm i we i, I a bear in mind i am not inside the penny morden organization i joined up effectively yesterday morning uh, or the day before because uh, because I had sat down and spent four days going through the detail of each of those criteria I said uh, to each of the candidates before I decided so I'm not I'm not a I'm not inside Penny's organization I don't know what her intelligence on these things is all I know is what the rumors are um, and you know r the rumors are often wrong in these things but if they are if there is a black arts operation I think they'd be very unwise do you regret saying about Boris Johnson in the name of God go on that amazing day when I was watching from the press gallery in the House of Commons no firstly 
a number of things were going on. You had a number of youngsters who were w- worrying about what was happening in their constituency, you know, people with very narrow majorities and so on. And they were feeling rather abandoned, really. Um, I won't name them, but a couple of them actually came up to me and said, you know, why can't somebody like you help us, you know? Uh, and that wasn't the reason, but it sort of triggered a thought process. Um, and the truth is, it, 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 was a, it was a comment that sort of went around the world. I mean, we had emails from British Columbia and places like that you know, about it. Um, but it had to be said. Somebody had to call him out, you know. Everybody, you know, there was a sort of conspiracy of silence. Have you talked to him since? Oh, just bumped into him in the corridor, you know. A bit awkward. Orcs. Nah, this is, you know, I mean, just, just sort of... We're, we're just politics. We just, just grin at each other. I mean, you know, it's uh, it was very interesting at the time. The, the leader of the Tory party in Scotland, David, was was, was, um, uh, was a critic. And, so, and I think Rees-Mogg described him as a lightweight, right? And then a week later, of course, I said what I said, and he was asked if I'm a lightweight. Uh, and he said, oh, no, 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 <laughs> it was just that we disagree. And, in fact, we have been perfectly courteous to each other, you know, uh, uh, some people get carried away, but, but mostly we're courteous. Two, two final quick questions, David Davis. Um, what, job have you been, what job have you been offered by Penny Mordaunt, supporter? <laughs> I, I've not been offered a Foreign job. Secretary? I've Just not, you and me in the pub. No one's listening to this anyway, I, come on. I, I've not, yeah, you'd be very happy if that was true with your podcast. <laughs> no, I've not been offered a job. And I think people know. I mean, over the years, I've made it plain to people from Cameron to, to Boris, actually, that you know, I don't particularly want a job. I like what I do. I know. Look, Foreign I, Secretary, come I, on. I'm, give me a break. I'm, I'm on the back benches. I am able to alter anything I like. I mean, today we've just had an announcement on the uh, delay of the online safety bill, right? Who was asking for that this week? Me. You know, only me. On freedom of speech grounds. On freedom of speech okay. grounds. And so, you know, you can do things as a backbencher which are formidably powerful. Yeah. It's just that most of my colleagues haven't found out how yet, but I can. And the final, <laughs> finally, the odds on Penny Mordaunt winning? I would think the odds are that she'll win, but they're not, they're, they're not slam dunk. It's probably 60-40. David Davis, thank you for joining us today on Chopper's Politics. Great to have you on. Thank you. Very good. David Davis there. Now, Steve Baker MP was waiting in the wings for his interview. He had exactly five minutes before dashing off for another meeting with Suella Braveman's campaign group. Now, it's important to note, listeners, we recorded this chat early on Thursday morning before the second round of leadership voting. And Suella Braveman may or may not be in the race by the time this podcast comes out. Anyway, Steve Baker, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why can Suella be the Prime Minister of Great Britain? She's absolutely the right person to be Prime Minister. She's the only person with an absolutely proven track record of the resolve and grasp of detail necessary to take us through the rolling and deepening crises which we seem to face. Well, she's sound on Brexit. I mean, absolutely sound on Brexit. She's sound on everything. But really on Brexit. She gets the idea well, of sovereignty. Well, it is absolutely the, the, the case. thing which matters most to you. Well, the thing, that ma- well no, the thing that matters most to me in the prosper- is the prosperity, freedom and happiness of the British people. And I think that self-government is absolutely essential to that. And that's why I wanted to leave the EU. Control of political power is a fundamental right in a free society. And that's why I wanted to leave the EU. It's not an end in itself. It's a, it's a means to democratic control of political power. So that's why I wanted to do it. But it, it, it can't be avoided that every other candidate, when tested on a grand strategic decision, either lacked the strategic insight or the resolve to do the thing that they said they wanted to do. And that's because she was one of the 28 Spartan MPs. I'm a, yeah, and I of mean, course... She opposed the Brexit. I've got to be very careful how I put this, because 
obviously I don't want to reduce her vote to 28. <laughs> but, you know, I would ask all members of Parliament to look at the other candidates and say, when push comes to shove in the future, as, as it will, as it has done in the past, who grasps the detail? Who's got the resolve? Who's going to listen to you? Who's got a big smile? No matter how tough things is, who comes back with a big smile and is resilient and authentic? It's Suella. The Conservative Party's got an amazing, amazing opportunity to elect a truly magnificent leader. And my fear today is that, that they won't do it. Now, my our outright priority, Suella's outright priority, is to get to the debate on Sunday. We know that her greatest strength... That's the TV debate. The TV debate, because we know her greatest strength is her authenticity, her grasp of detail, her ability to articulate the things that the British public needs. So on the boats, for example, we promise to take back control of our borders. Now, until we end the jurisdiction of the European Convention of Human Rights, we can't do what is necessary to save people from being trafficked across the English Channel, from one safe country, France, to ourselves. And she's clear about that. She's done the analysis and she's absolutely committed, day one, to our withdrawal. Now, people shouldn't be worried about our rights because she will enshrine our rights in the British Bill of Rights under our own courts, but she'll end the jurisdiction of yet another foreign court so that we can control our borders and deal with the problem of the boats. And no other candidate's offering to do that, and they should be challenged. What are those other candidates going to do to end that problem? And this is the heart of the matter. It's just one example of how the other candidates are trying to duck the really hard issues. Are they all more of the same, and Suella Braverman is not more of the same? Is Suella, the Suella's absolutely... I mean, I, I'm more excited about Suella and happier about supporting Suella than, than any other candidate, including Boris. She's absolutely the real deal for this country, and people should listen to her and have a look at what she's saying and take time to understand it. She's the real deal. At what point did you think you weren't the real deal for the, for the country? Because some well, of us thought you might go for this job. Well, so when I went out and said I was seriously considering it, I really was seriously considering it. Suella put herself in the air. I put myself in the air. If 50 MPs, 10, 20 MPs had come back to me, I would have run, perhaps had a difficult conversation with Suella. But the truth is, I don't really want to be Prime Minister. The truth is, I want Suella to be Prime Minister. And it's a huge weight off my shoulders, actually, that we can end this conversation about me being Prime Minister. I don't want to do it. And, and, and this might end the battle over Brexit. It might mean Brexit gets sorted, finished, and we well, can all move on. The truth is, if Tom Tugendhat becomes Prime Minister, I spoke to him only this morning, you won't mind me saying, Tom Tugendhat and I both agree on the trajectory of this com- country outside the EU with this trade and cooperation agreement. That's the amazing thing about Tom and actually Liz. Both of them have made the journey. The question is not now where we're going as a country. It's whether or not the leader has the resolve to see it through when it gets tough, because it will. Now, this week you've launched, uh, relaunched Conservative Way Forward. Uh-huh. Yeah, separately from the bids. A Thatcherite think tank. That was long planned, long planned, wasn't it, before this big week of Tory leadership machinations. Why do we need Conservative Way Forward? Is there a crisis in what a Tory is nowadays? Yeah, I'm afraid there is. We seem to have adopted the Blairite consensus. Omnipotent government's not working. I mean, there's two big problems with the state as it is. We can't afford it. And it isn't achieving the goals that we set for it to make the people more prosperous, happy and free. Well, we've got to do something different, not least because in our lifetimes, the welfare state will default. That is what the people who do the numbers tell us. So what is a Tory in a tweet, Steve Baker? A conservative in a tweet is somebody who believes in freedom, in community, voluntary relationships, not coerced ones. That's somebody who believes in other people and gives them the dignity of choosing for themselves and expressing themselves virtuously in relationship with other people. And that's what's been forgotten. 
I think so, yeah. We've ended up casting all our cares on the state. The state can only do things by coercing people and taxing them and getting someone else to do the thing we should take responsibility for as individuals and communities. And it's not working and it's destroying us. Was Boris Johnson a Tory? Oh, Boris is a proper high Tory about a Tory, but we, I want us to be much more a classical liberal conservative party. And the odds of Oswello Braverman winning the, uh, the oh, election? I'm not going to pretend that they're not long. She's at the bottom of the leaderboard, but she's the right person to be Prime Minister, and we have, there is no deal to be done before the public debates. Steve Baker, thank you for joining us this week on Travel Politics. Thank you. Thank you. Steve Baker there, hot-footing it off to another meeting for Oswello Braverman's campaign group. Right, don't go anywhere. Shortly we'll be talking to Professor Matthew Goodwin on the runners and riders in the Tory party leadership race and who he thinks will be the person who Keir Starmer fears most. Back in a mo. If you're finding this podcast interesting, you may also like our new daily podcast, Ukraine, the latest. Every weekday, The Telegraph's leading journalists bring you the latest news and the most informed analysis of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine from our newsroom in London and from the ground. The Russian machine has been ground to a halt now for well over a week, and that is just staggering. NATO has to act now. It has to do more than it's currently doing. Otherwise, in this Ukrainian MP's words, you'll have to evacuate the whole continent. One video that we found to be incorrect was bomb squads seen in the Donbass region. The metadata of this clip shows that it was created in 2019, not today. Search Ukraine, the latest, in the same place you're listening to this, and click follow so you don't miss an update. Now, it's all very well hearing from Tory MPs about who they think should be the Tory leader who takes the party into the next general election, but what do the experts think? With me is Professor Matthew Goodwin, a politics professor from the University of Kent, armed with lots of polling data. Matthew Goodwin, he's been a keen follower of what Tories in the Red Wall really think. From Nigel Farage to Boris Johnson. He popped in to join me in the Red Lion pub to discuss who he thinks the Tories need to be the next leader. Matthew Goodwin, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thanks, Chris. Which candidate has impressed you most? On a personal level, I've been very impressed with... Kemi Badnock. I think she is intelligent, uh, sharp, got very interesting ideas. Uh, I think she's exactly where the realignment of the country is. People do want to talk about culture, history, etc. From a political perspective, I'm not sure how to explain it, but Penny Morden's campaign has done very well relative to her you know, pretty uh, quiet position within the parliamentary party. Uh, unknown in the policy level. On many yeah, areas. I mean, I'm, I'm a professor of politics and I'm struggling to articulate what Penny's campaign really is about, but she's doing remarkably well. Why is she? Why is she surging? Is it the anyone but Boris candidate? I mean, is she? Is she? She is an insurgent candidate with no support of many cabinet ministers. She's yeah. a bit like Jeremy Corbyn back in 2016. I think. Reasons. I think. Yeah, I think that's true. And you often find this in British politics. You know, people tend to forget David Cameron had no ministerial experience at all before he became leader. I mean, Tony Blair largely was quite an unknown quantity. When we poll uh, a lot of these candidates, there is very little public awareness, really, of all of them. Maybe except Rishi, because. A lot of people have obviously gone through the COVID-19 crisis uh, alongside, you know, those broadcasts with Rishi Sunak. But very few people actually know who these people are and what they believe. Now, if you turn to Conservative Party members, actually, I did some exclusive polling this week, which we put out uh, yesterday. And what you see uh, when you poll Conservative Party members actually is a lot of enthusiasm for some of these new candidates, new generation of Conservatives, um, you know, Kemi Badnock, uh, Suella Braverman and so on. 
And, you know, one of the remarkable things about this leadership race for me, Chris, is actually the diversity of it. And I know diversity isn't everything in politics. And sometimes we get obsessed with, you know, just, you know, measuring everything by diversity. But there's a, there is a really interesting point here for the Conservative Party, which is, you know, this is a most diverse leadership race coming after the most diverse Conservative cabinet in the most diverse parliament led by the Conservative Party. It is quite extraordinary. I, I tweeted a picture on um, Wednesday night of Kemi um, Badenoch and Suella Braveman in these amazing blue dresses. I mean, you know, it, it is it is it is progressive, isn't it? That 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 you know, you know, anyone now can lead the Tory party. It's it's, it's rather. Rather, rather heartening. I think it's also partly a legacy of David Cameron's reforms in the mid-2000s. Of course, somebody once said all prime ministers go down in history for one thing. Cameron will always be remembered for setting the stage for Brexit. But he did do those reforms on candidates. You know, one of the remarkable things for me, Chris, is it's no longer implausible right, to, to think that actually we'll, we'll have the first Asian black prime minister and, and no one will even care about that. I mean, it's all, our politics has become post-racial. And, yet, and, on, and this is a huge thing. And for on Twitter, politics. people always say racist Tories, don't they? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's actually, chucked at the right all the time. Yeah, the I think there's that, but I think, it's, I think it's deeper than that. I think this is, a, this is such a strong rebuttal to the very oppressive sort of you know, woke view of the world, which which portrays all Western societies, not only Britain, as being irretrievably and inherently institutionally racist. How on earth can you argue that, given what we're witnessing with the leadership contest? And it isn't only the Conservative leadership contest, Chris. It's also spiralling levels of representation for minorities across National Health Service, um, top universities, schools. There is a really positive story happening in Britain right now that we don't hear enough about. And the left aren't happy about that. I don't think they are. And I think actually, you know, if I was in Keir Starmer's camp, and some of my friends are, and, you know, they're, they're watching this leadership race, and sometimes I think they're watching it with glee. Other times I think they're watching it with alarm, because on the one hand, you could see how some candidates would be a dream for the Labour Party, and I won't name them, but let's say you've got a... Rishi Sunak, for well, example. Let's, say you've let's, got, take let's take one. Let's say you've got somebody who's not just in the top 1%, but the top 0.0001%, who's twice as rich as the Queen, who's married to somebody who had non-dom <laughs> status, and who, to be frank, doesn't look an, a natural fit with the red wall, right? If I was in Keir Starmer's camp, I would think, well, there's the biggest cost of living crisis coming this winter that anybody has ever heard, and I'm not sure a plutocrat is going to go down well in Stoke-on-Trent or Boston and Skegness, right? So so there's that issue, which I think is a serious issue. And I'm not anti-wealth, but the wealth here is so extreme. There's a serious question. So there's that. Then there are these candidates, these sort of more insurgent candidates, that I think would be so problematic for the Labour Party. I mean, let's say, for argument's sake, we had Prime Minister... Um, Kemi Badenoch, um, as, as an example. Yeah, how on earth does a Labour Party go about, um, you know, breaking down that candidate when it's invested so heavily in identity politics and it's it's always taken this position that actually the Conservative Party is reactionary and is uh, backwards and so on. And I think you can make the same case for Suella Braverman that uh, if you look at all of those candidates, you know, that they... You know, a little bit like Margaret Thatcher did in 1979, a little bit like Theresa May did in 2017. As my colleague Professor Andrew Gamble once said, one of the greatest puzzles in British politics is why has the Conservative Party been so successful for so long? By the time of the next election, the Conservatives will have governed alone or in opposition for 74% of the time. Remarkable achievement. The answer is reinvention. The Conservatives always reinvent right, to meet the moment that the country is in. A Prime Minister, uh, Badenoch, Braverman, 
etc., would actually send that message of reinvention again, which is a Conservative Party reinventing to meet a diverse, um, you know, sort of uh, modern uh, Britain. Now, I can tell you, Chris, it isn't the same brand of conservatism that David Cameron and George Osborne offered, and it isn't the same brand of conservatism that Margaret Thatcher offered. Thatcher was a radical, did a lot of good things for the country, but it was a different set of answers for a different set well, of problems. Well, just, just on that, we have Rishi Sunak, don't we, in the Telegraph this week, donning the clothes of Margaret Thatcher, didn't, didn't we? I'm looking at your um, research published on the Unheard website, and we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode. You found that only a minority of Tory party members, 39%, think we should cut taxes. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because tax is dominating the whole debate. You've got Rishi Sunak saying he cut, he's boxing by his own policies and all the other candidates saying we're going to cut taxes. Are they wrong? Is that not where the membership is? They're not wrong to talk about how we can alleviate the cost of living crisis and tax cuts go down extremely well in the parliamentary party, which is determining the first phase of this contest. And tax cuts do still go down well among a large portion of the conservative electorate who will determine the final phase of this contest. But Chris, there is a serious tension now at the heart of the Conservative Party, which is that the you know low tax, small state vision of Brexit Britain does not sit comfortably in many of the seats that the Conservative Party now holds. As that research shows, as other research shows, the National Centre for Social Research has shown over the last 20 years, actually, a lot of voters have said they either want to keep taxes where they are or increase them to spend more on public services. You know why, Chris? Because everybody you speak to right now has got a story. I can't get into the GP. I can't get an ambulance. I can't get a passport. And there's an awareness among lots of voters. You can't just slash tax with no plan for how we're going to improve public services. Whoever wins the party, whoever takes it forward for the Conservatives to hold this, they've got to repair their disconnection with these new Conservative voters, not just on tax and spend, on immigration, Chris. They're going to have to be in touch with working class voters in Workington and Stoke-on-Trent. And we just had polling, Chris, on Rishi Sunak this week, which you will have seen. That would be deeply alarming to me if I was in Team, Su- in team Sunak. He's out of touch with working class voters. He doesn't connect with them. They can't relate what to can his ordinary to life experiences. Do you think, is the truth we can't have a multi, multi, multi-millionaire leading the country anymore because he's just too rich? Is that what the problem is with Rishi Sunak? I think there's a personal story there. It isn't just the wealth. I think it's also the non-DOM status, the green card issue. I think it's also, you know, to some voters, I I sit in focus groups with voters and, you know, we show them clips and so on. And sometimes when they look at somebody like Rishi Sunak, what you tend to find is they say, well, you know, Metropolitan, Davos man, George Osborne 2.0. You've got that sort of sense that he's a compelling politician, right? He's slick. He's on Instagram. He rides a Peloton every morning, a £2,000 bicycle, right? He's got all of the, look at me, I'm London, I'm sexy, I'm hip. Is that actually what voters want? Or is that a politician that represents a different time? I think the key thing voters want today is authenticity. I think people who are true to their convictions, and I think people who can demonstrate some connection with ordinary voters. I've never seen, and I'm happy to be shown the clips, I've never seen Sunak sitting in a pub in Stoke-on-Trent talking to voters. I've never seen him in a working class man's club in the northeast of England having a chat. I've not seen it. We need to see that. Matthew Goodman, two final questions. At what point will the Tories start regretting losing Boris Johnson? Well, I think some Conservative Party voters are probably already regretting losing Johnson. That's certainly what I'm seeing in some of our polling. And I, I wrote last weekend about the fact that 
a good chunk of the 14 million people who voted Conservative in 2019 will be sat there now thinking, what on earth has happened? And where's my leader gone? And where's my vision of the country gone? Johnson was the third prime minister, as somebody said, to be brought down by Johnson, right? He successfully (laughs) deconstructed David Cameron through Brexit. He then dismantled Theresa May through her Brexit deal and then arguably brought himself down through his own faults and failings. Only an idiot would count him out from the future of British politics. We know, as you know better than me, that he will remain an influential voice in the country. And I think he has clearly demonstrated a, a serious ability to to win elections in London, to Stoke-on-Trent and In Labour areas, that's his yeah. point. And so now one of the questions that is always going to hang over British politics now for the, for the rest of our lives, if he doesn't come back, maybe he will, I, said, I wouldn't bet against it, is actually, you know, was this one of the big errors within the Conservative Party because this it's not hard Chris to see how this actually turns into a massive disaster for the party well I think it I think it will be seen to be a disaster well here's here's, here's how it happens you know if you think the Conservative Party is going to hold London and the university towns at the next general election I've got a bridge to sell you okay it ain't going to happen it's not just Johnson it's Brexit they hate the Conservative Party okay so let's say those seats are gone okay then they go with a candidate that can't hold the red wall, right? So those areas go because Conservatives stay at home and, and Labour do well there. SNP dominates in Scotland. Suddenly, actually, you're not that far away from a late 90s, early 2000s wipeout. That's the nightmare scenario okay. for the Conservative. And who is the leader who stops that? I'm struggling to see one, Chris. Matthew Goodwin, Professor of Politics at Kent University. Thank you for joining us this week on Troubles Politics. Thank you. Now, my job at The Telegraph, I know Tory MPs pretty well. And I know if you have a drink with them, buy them lunch, a lot of them want to be Conservative Party leader. But only a very few of them have the gumption, maybe the cojones, to go and do it. Now, this week we've seen a dozen or so have said they want to be Tory leader. Only six remain in the contest as of Thursday morning. One of those who tried and failed is Raymond Chishti. Now, when Ray launched his campaign earlier this week, there was a collective who on social media. So how better to find out who he is and why he went for it than to ask him? Raymond Chishti, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Chris, can I just say, firstly, thank you for all that you do and to the media for giving me a fair hearing um, in this leadership contest. I think in answering your question, why did I do it? I think it's a duty upon each and every member of parliament to ask themselves the question, how can they best serve our country? And if they have the skills, if they believe they have the skills, that they they can offer our great country and our party, then we all have to step up. So for that, last week when it became apparent the prime minister is going, then you have to ask yourself, how do you do that? So within um, two days, you think of a narrative, you think of a vision, you put it out there. And so... You know, I gave it all, and I think the vision I put for aspirational conservatism, work hard, persevere, self-belief, you know, and, uh, and, and also to say, you know what, we want a merit-based system. Chris, you've, been, you've seen Parliament over 25 years. You know, first duty of the state is to protect your citizens. And I think, for me, national interest means we, get, we need to have the brightest and the best people across government making the decisions for our great country as we move forward. And you were one of the top to under 40 tipped by the new statesman back in 2012 or 2011. I saw you tweet about that. So well, obviously it didn't help me because I'm still on the, I was still on the back benches. The back benches. But what, 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 why, did you, what, why did you stand? What, what, did you, did you uh, talk to your partner, your family about doing it? 
I think for me, it's um, it all evolved very quickly and being as frank as I can. Last week on Thursday, when you saw other candidates put themselves forward, and look, the great thing about the Conservative Party is we have massive talent. There were a dozen candidates there. Yeah, and then you ask yourself, look, these are colleagues here you have respect for, but do you also have something to offer? Do you have the skills that could take our country forward? Gillingham was the most marginal seat in the country, 15 votes in 2010, and now it's 15,000 down that's, to the that's brilliant... Your, down to yours you know, it's down to the brilliant activists and supporters in my constituency, but you have to lead and you have to have a vision. And having done that, you wanted to offer that at the next level to our party and our country. Did you have any, any support from other, other colleagues or were you on your own doing this? I had to put a vision and the vision I put forward, uh, people really liked it, but I think they made it clear that I came into the game too late, giving two days notice to, to get my message out there. I respect that honesty and frankness because if they're already committed to somebody else, I wouldn't like to get them to I like your video though. Was it handheld in a park? It was at Riverside Country Park. If okay. you, you love running, Chris. Yes. Um, Riverside Country Park is brilliant for running. So you should come on down. So I'll yes, come down. It, the video. Park run you and me. You, you and I. Great. I Let's think well, that'll be a competition. But the video was done on my on my iPhone. And so I think getting them out, if the key thing was in no, life, th- no frills. I had a lot of authenticity to it, I think. You've got to put your passion in. You've got to set what you think. And I think you have to be yourself. Were you surprised by, by Twitter as it mean? They said, who are you? And that kind of thing. A bit harsh. I think they were right to ask that question. Because at the end of the day, the question was, although I've been a parliamentarian here, getting on with private members' bills on mental health, animal welfare, foreign policy review, Every MP could put forward ideas. Um, I don't know how many did, but I worked with our former National Security Advisor, Sir Mark Lyle Grant, brilliant, to come up with creative ideas. So I think on that basis, you know, people in Parliament may have known me, but across the country, no. So therefore, I think, you know, some of that... Some, some of that points... They know who Rachel is you. now. Well, I, I, hopefully they'll have a better idea, but I've got to keep going on to being a parliamentarian and putting forward you know, uh, the championing issues that matter to constituents and also the national country. What I would say, Chris, yesterday as I was walking past here, um, I went past Sainsbury's near Charing Cross and I got stopped by the security guard. And he said to me, you've got newspapers in your hand. I said, yes. Because why have you got so many? I said, uh, no, no, I just want to read these newspapers. He goes, no, no, tell me. His name was Eric. And I said, OK, OK, Eric, because I'm in there. And he looked yeah, at it. And, 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 and I think the question was, he said, uh, oh, OK, parliamentarians, do something for us. And I said, what can we do for you? He said, do get the issue of cost of living sorted out and get my children to good education. I wouldn't be here as a member of parliament, you know, if I didn't have good education and the teachers that helped me and inspired me to get here. We in parliament, whatever level, have to come together and deliver for our country when it comes to cost of living and education. So you've raised Raymond Chifty's uh, profile. It was all about getting a job in the future cabinet of maybe Penny Mordaunt or Solo Braveman or Liz Truss or Sunak? Chris, you have to be honest to yourself and, uh, and put forward the vision that you had into practice. And that vision I put forward was for creative ideas, it was for fresh ideas, fresh people, uh, based on a merits-based system. And with that being the case, I backed Tom Tugendhat, you know, with his uh, vision for our great country as we move forward. So I will fight at every level to ensure that we have a merits-based system because I, I end on this. Our great country is a great country where people have resilience, they have passion, they have creativity, they have resourcefulness. But what we do need is a merits-based system so that you have the brightest and best in government across the board. Whoever they are, we'll let you know, the leadership yeah. decide, but we need a merits-based system. What have system. you learned from the process? I mean, just the, the nuts and bolts. You woke up, you thought, I'm going to, be, I'm going to stand to be leader. But what was it like? What did it feel like on Sunday when you put your, your video out on Sunday? I think, I, I think on Sunday morning, um, you were still reflecting. And I went to a street surgery in my constituency in Hempstead. 
And, and, uh, and people can ask those constituents who stopped by and had a chat to me. And I said, there's a vacancy here. You've seen me for the past 12 years. Do you think I should do it? it? And they said, go for it. We think you should go for it. Go for it. And so I think on that basis, what I would say is if you believe in something, have the conviction and go for it and, uh, and have the courage. And that's what I say to my students in Gillingham you and wouldn't you, wouldn't, you wouldn't not do it again? You would do, do, do everything, everything again, would you? I loved every minute of it. It was tough, four hours sleep. You know, and I was a bottom-up campaign. I didn't have much resource. I was my own campaign manager. So when the media was saying, who's your contact point? So take my mobile number, you know, give me a call. And so I apologized to the journalists who I wasn't able to get back to. But I think I did a lot of media and interviews because you wanted to be scrutinized on what you were putting forward. Uh, so um, I gave, you know, I gave it all. Um, I think in the short space of time that we had from Sunday night to Monday, Tuesday, uh, could we have done any more? And I say this in every election. Do everything you can right till 10 o'clock. Whatever the result is after that, you'll accept it and you wish your successor, whoever that may be. Well, people know who Ray Chishti is now. Well, hopefully for the reasons that if you believe in something, they have a conviction to take it forward. Ray Chishti, thank you for joining us this week on Troubles Politics and best of luck in the future and your, le- your next uh, campaign for leader in 2025. Good I'm going to carry on being a member of Parliament for Gillingham and Rainey. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week, listeners. I'd love to know your thoughts on what you think about what our guests have said today. Email us, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or we're on Twitter, we're at chopperspodcast. For more from me, please sign up to my daily Choppers Politics newsletter, bringing you my latest Westminster Insight straight into your email inbox every weekday. To sign up to that, please go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash politics newsletter. And do be sure to check out my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip column out 7pm on Fridays on our website and in Saturday's newspaper. Thank you again to my guests, Steve Baker MP, David Davis MP, Raymond Chishty MP and to Professor Matthew Goodwin from Kent University. And in the show notes of this episode, I'll put the link to Matthew Goodwin's research for the Unheard website. Thank you again to my producers, Giles Gear and Louisa Wells. And thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. And finally, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph, if only to see the brilliant photographs of my mate, Eddie Mulholland, on page one, if you can. I know you won't regret it. Until next time, though, from the Red Line Pub, cheerio! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.